Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. First Samuel, if you got your Bible this morning, turn to the book of First Samuel, chapter 1. Uh, we're reading really from the first verse. Great story. Many of you who are Bible readers right. know the story. That's good, Steve. Come up and do what yeah. you have to do. <laughs> My mom says I have small ears. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> like the uh, amen. Uh, you just whispered in my ear as well. If you have a preschooler here, you can now bring the preschools uh, down to their classes. The teachers are ready to receive them, and also too in the audit, in the balcony foyer. There's a televised area for any children that might be here, still in the auditorium that act like children. Please take them out and bring to the foyer area. You can catch the service there on TV live. Amen. So let me give you a context as to First Samuel. We're going to read uh, a delightful story, and there's a thought that the Lord put in my heart, and I just pray that it blesses you this morning. But the background of Samuel is that the children of Israel now have nationhood. Uh, At long last, after hundreds of years, Abraham, the father of Israel, you know, he had a promise put on him that his seed would multiply, that God would give him a nation. Out of of, of that nation, he would give them a homeland. And now they're in that place where they're occupying the homeland. They still have a lot of issues going on. There's other occupiers there as well that they have to vanquish. But it's gone through a whole process of the deliverance through Joshua, bringing them into the promised land. So you all know the story of the Exodus, of course, and 40 years in the wilderness, crossing over the Jordan River, as we heard last week from Pastor Larry, and now coming in and inheriting the land. And so Samuel is the, 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 the last great judge of Israel. He's the greatest prophet, so the scriptures, uh, uh, Lord Tom has been the greatest prophet but the last great judge of Israel. And this is really a story that brings you into his life. And um, so here we are, uh, chapter one. Father, I just pray this morning that this word would be a blessing to your people, O God, and would honor your holy name, Lord, that all, Lord, who hear your word, Lord, would be cut to the heart, O God, would be built up in their spirit, Lord, and that they would leave giving glory to your name and your name alone. I pray and I ask this in the precious name of our wonderful Savior. Amen. There was a man from Ramadan Zopim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Echelon, son of Jehoram, son of Eliu, son of Tohu, son of Zophu, and Ephrodite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Echelon offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peniah, and to each of her sons and daughters. He, he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, for even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would provoke her severely, severely uh, uh, taunt her, because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival provoked her in the way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Hannah got up 
After they ate and drank at Shiloh, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she was praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was speaking to herself and although her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I've had, I've had, I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me, a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And Eli responded, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant petition your request from him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer appeared downcast. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to bow and to worship the Lord. Afterwards, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. What a great story. I'm not going to go too much further this morning, but we all know of Samuel and his exploits and his leadership of the great Israel nation. But it's actually a very sad story. It's a very unusual, um, you know, people get into all sorts of quagmire when we talk about uh, marriage and family in the Old Testament because polygamy was actually something that was commonly accepted even within the Jewish culture. It wasn't the plan of God. Yet in the Levitical laws, God gave instruction to Moses concerning aspects of polygamy. And, uh, so, and they were given for social reasons. The reasons were that when we, when we judge society by today's technological breakthroughs and advancements, we, do, we give little consideration to the time and era that the human world had to morph through you know, uh, 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 by embracing consciousness and growing into technology and life and populating the world. There was no rule of government. There was no United Nations. There was no gold queue. There was no feed cork. There was no humanitarian work going on in the world. It was a very, very, very difficult time. And if you were without a family, you were highly vulnerable. And if you were a woman, you were more so highly vulnerable because there were times where men were, it was very misogynistic. It was very violent. Um, nations were beginning to form, clans were beginning to form. And so God gave some instruction in the Levitical laws. So if a woman was left widowed by her husband, that the brother could marry her. So he could already be married. So polygamy was acceptable for the simple reason that that woman should be included into a home for safety, for provision, and for the posterity of the lineage of, of the brother as well. But it was really given in the social context and all the Jewish uh, uh, Talmuds bear that out as well as its tradition, that it was tolerated in this fact that women would have been left utterly vulnerable. So polygamy, you have this man here, Elkanah, and he's got two wives. Now, we don't know whether, he, whether that was the situation. 
The other situations was, was a flagrant, nothing other than, than the lust of man, having hundreds of wives and rich people did the same thing. But on average, people didn't, it wasn't everyone had more than one wife. It was some people had more than one wife in those times. And of course, when we go into the New Testament, Jesus restores what the order should have been. I mean, Jesus was asked that question. And uh, Jesus refers back to the book of Genesis, as with many of the faithful Jewish thinkers believe that in Genesis, when God says a man should leave his, his mother and his father and he should cleave to his own wife and the two shall become one, that that was the model that God wanted to have all the time. That, was what, that, that is the best model for family. Amen? That is the best model to bring up children. Do I hear Amen. It doesn't mean that single moms or single dads can do a bad job, but it is much healthier for children to grow up with a mom and a dad. They're going to get a better balance in life. They're going to get a better view of life. It's the most efficient. It's the, it's the number one way to rear children. If at all possible, that's the way it should be. But we live in broken worlds. We live where there's orphans in this world. We live, as I say, we have widows and widowers in this world. And, and that's not always the situation. But this was God's model. The model was the family. It's a great thing to know that you know, the Bible says that he, he places the lonely in families. Isn't that a wonderful thought? He sets the lonely. You know, the family of God, the church of Jesus this morning, that great body, we'll come on to that later on, is for the lonely. You know, you may not have had a great marriage, you might not have had a great upbringing, you might have had a husband that walked out on you, but you have a heavenly father and you have a groom in the person of Jesus who loves you, amen, and he places you into a family. So, you know, it was interesting just to give you a little bit of update on, on how the thinking morphed into marriage. And so really down through the centuries, the Jews that when they went further away from God became more licentious. And in actual fact, at the time of Jesus, it was the Romans, not the Jews, introduced monogamy. It was illegal for a Roman to have more than one wife. Isn't that interesting? The Roman Empire, now they, they had their mistresses and they divorced all the time, but they caught the concept that marriage should be a husband and wife and that was something sacred about that union and that was absolutely right. That's how Jesus thought. That's how the Apostle Paul, Paul thought. And so they begin to discipline the New Testament church into that very, very fruitful way of living and we should never give ground in that, friends. That is the most optimum. The reason why we have exploded in success among civilized worlds is because the family unit was sacred and powerful. And when you nurtured that unit, society as a whole experienced the benefit of that. When you deconstruct that, like we are doing in the last hundred years, you could say, particularly in the last 30 or 40 years, when you deconstruct that and you give equal validity to other types of unions, you get the sort of society that you're looking at dysfunctional, not near as efficient, not as near as knit together, not as near as brought together. And so that's what you get. You mess with the model. You know, you break the pattern. You, you, you know, the Bible says, be not deceived. Whatever you sow, you shall reap. So, so and so, there, you know, so it was Jesus restored that model. Paul taught it. In actual fact, in the New Testament, this is all the, by the way, for the message, but I think it's interesting stuff for you this morning. Uh, in the New Testament, you know, in the book of Acts, they started to feed the widows. And the reason they did that, because you can't talk to widows who were equally vulnerable back then and say, well, we don't want you to go into a, poly a, poly a polygamous relationship and let your, 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 your brother-in-law marry you. He's already married. So we're going to take care of the widows. 
the church began to say, listen, you can't say, you can't leave without a social platform to help the real need. Oh, well, we want you to live a righteous life with God, but be vulnerable, be out there, let yourself be abused by men, let yourself have no food and die a beggar. No, the church assumed that sense if we're going to live morally right, then we have an obligation as a body to protect those widows and to feed them. And so that was the mentality. They're actually the reasons behind the pattern of life. And so, we, we, so, you know, when you're reading this sort of story, it can sound a little bit strange to us that Elkanah was a godly man and he had two wives. So you now understand a little bit more of the pattern, amen? It's where things were at. Things move forward, the light and the, the knowledge of God. And so he, he had this wife, Paniah. And interesting, the names tell a lot, really, about people. Paniah, her name uh, means pearl or ruby. You know, it, there's nothing negative about her. So, you know, and I want you to remember, Elkanah, his name means God has obtained. And Hannah means favored. And it's an interesting picture because when you, when you kind of look at it in an allegorical way, when you begin to see that the scriptures are an eternal word, there's a real story here and we're going to get into it. These are real people. This is a real event. These are real characters here. But there's an overarching story in the scriptures that begin to bring out more of the type of heart of God. You know, there's, there, there's wider implications. It's patterned in many other places that in many ways you could look at Elkanah as being a type of God, the Father. You know, with a church, a bride, consisting of different sorts of people. And in that church, of course, you have those who are like, like, like Paniah, who was pearl, you know, the pearl of great price, the scripture talks about, ruby at that, covered in the blood of Jesus. There's a sense that, you know, that if you're looking at it in an allegorical Christian sense, that there is within the house of God many Paniahs that are, that are purchased by the Lord, loved by God, bearing fruit for God. But you also got Hannahs in the house. That, you know, that they don't seem to have the same level of victory at times, yet they equally love God. And it can be an unrighteous provoking. And I said unrighteous provoking. From the Paniahs towards the Hannahs. Amen. Where's your faith, sister? Why aren't you this or why aren't you that? And so we have to be very careful in the body of Christ how we treat one another. We are treating the bride of Christ when we begin to point the finger and when we try to provoke, and I'm just telling them they need to read their Bible more. No, show them how to read their Bible more. Big difference, isn't there? We can so easily get off as Christians on when things are going good in our life, when you know, I'm bearing fruit and my family life is great. It's so easy to start looking at other people's lives and pushing, pointing out what seems to be an obvious contradiction. I want to warn you, Christian, never become like that. Never become judgmental. You don't know what God's doing in that person's life. You don't know what God has in store for them. You don't know that, that you, and you need to realize that he who began the good work in them is going to bring it to completion. It doesn't need your conviction. It needs the Holy Spirit's conviction. It doesn't need your words. It needs his word. And God is doing something in every life this morning in this church. Every one of our lives. We're either a Paniah or we're a Hannah. We're either bearing fruit, but not wielding the revelation that we have of God in a very healthy way. So buyer beware, you need, to, you need to roll back and you need to become more mature in your faith as a Christian. If God's blessing you in your life, you need to be a blessing and not one of those who provoke people to, to, to discouragement. But anyway, the story goes, this woman, Paniah, she is bearing children and of course, 
there's a reproach in the Jewish context and basically in the entire ancient world that women that didn't have children were, were discarded as being cursed by God or not really as valuable. And there was, that, there was that sense of reproach. Incidentally, in this situation, it was God that blocked her womb. Strange, but it was God because God had a plan. I said, God had a plan. And in the midst of provocation and disappointment, this woman learned how to press through with God. And I, I like this about this situation. She, she, didn't, she didn't let it disenfranchise her. You know, it's amazing that when you have, when you're being hurt, you know, I think in that verse, I think it's in Zechariah, it talks about, that prophetic verse talks about being wounded in the house of my friend. It's a picture of Christ, of course. And how easy it is to, to carry our wounds with us as Christians. You know, sometimes you're wounded in your marriage and the world says divorce. Are you wounded in your job and it's, I'm going to quit and find another job. You know, and often, even in the house of God, I'm wounded in the house, I'm going to find another church. Till someone else wounds you and you're always moving and always moving on. She stayed with her marriage, she stayed where she was, friends, and she began to learn a secret that, you know, I am where I am and maybe God has a plan in this. But it drove her to a place where she went into the presence of God. And I think when you're on your journey, and particularly you this morning that are watching, you feel that your life has become a little barren. Anyone here this morning feeling a bit like Hannah? Maybe some are actually looking for children, and that's a prayer request for you. But, you know, when it talked about the womb not bearing fruit, it's in, a, in, a, in a spiritualized way, that means a lot more than just not having a baby. Within the body of Christ, there can be many this morning, and you look around you and you see this panayas there. They're, 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 they're covered in the blood and they're prospering and they're moving in God, but you're provoked in your heart because, because there's not much in your own life. You don't see much fruit for your Christian walk. And that's a, that can be a reality. Sometimes there's the wounds of a friend, isn't there? The scripture talks about the wounds of a friend. It says the wounds of a, it said the wounds of a friend are better than the... The, the wounds of a friend in Proverbs 27. Better are open rebuke than the love that is concealed. Isn't that great? Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. The wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And sometimes, you know, there's a provocation because you're not quite happy where you're at. You're not seeing the, the, you're not seeing the, the, the results of, 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 of a fruit coming in your life, you know, and, and that can be disturbing you. That can be unsettling as a Christian. But I want to tell you this morning, it's not over yet. Praise God. This went on for many years in her life. And I believe there's a lesson here for us because, you know, Habakkuk 2 tells us the vision awaits an appointed time. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. You, those of you who are waiting for an answer, those who are waiting to see things in your life, you know, God has an appointed time for you. And you're not to leave. You're not to cut and run just because I'm out in a barren place. You know, she teaches us something here. She presses in. Regardless of her, her, her sense of isolation, regardless of her sense of failure. And you know, I want to tell you this morning, we all go through those places as Christians where we feel isolated. We feel like we're the only one. I feel like I'm a rotten Christian. I'm not good enough. I'm just not strong enough. If people only truly knew what I'm like, you know, they wouldn't even like me. And yet God, the Heavenly Father says, I love you. Isn't that wonderful? I love you not because you're bearing fruit and not bearing fruit. I love you because you're mine. That's a revelation. And as Elkanah began to say that to his wife, he says, you know, darling, 
I don't care. I might not better to you than 10 sons. I love you. And you can hear a word this morning in the midst of your own sense of failure and your own barrenness that God says, I still love you, but with that love comes a promise that I'm going to come to you and I want to be intimate with you. And I'm going to do something in your life, not just the body, but in you. And I love that. I love the, the long-suffering of the Lord. I love the kindness of God. I love that it is one of the most fundamental truths that is not heard about enough is that God loves this world, always loved this world, and will always love this world. That God himself is love. Everything he does is motivated for your goodness to better you, to bless you, to help you. And if you withhold something out of your life, then it's because he wants to give you something far greater and you, learn, you need to learn how to press through and trust him instead of cutting and running. She never thought about cutting and running. Year after year, they would go up to Shiloh to sacrifice. It's quite a journey for them to do that. I mean, many of us can't get, get in the car and drive 15 minutes and come to church on a Sunday. You know, these people had to walk, friends. Walk many, many miles, sometimes three or four, five, ten days journey to get up to and sacrifice to the Lord. Thank God, thank God that they show us something that maybe may challenge all of our lives and our lifestyles. It's easy to speak something of commitment, but it's much more it's much more integral to put one foot in front of the next, amen, and to get on with it regardless of the cost. She pours her heart out to the Lord. But this is, this is, this is what, I, what I see here. You know, outside of her wounding, outside of the apparent failures or the lack of fruit in her life, regardless of being wounded by her family, and by societal view of her at the time. You know, and even her church family, she comes into the house of the Lord and <laughs> Eli completely misinterprets her. And I've done that many times. I've, mis- I've misinterpreted people's exuberance. I've, I've misinterpreted p- people's over-emotional behavior. I'm, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you right now that not every manifestation I see in this church is of the Holy Spirit. A lot of it is of the human emotion. And there's not much wrong with that as long as it doesn't take attention away from the presence of God and onto you. That's always an important aspect when we come to worship the Lord together. I mean, you cannot box in your emotions. You understand? When God moves, you can get emotional. I don't try to dramatize it and call it as the Holy Spirit causing someone to move or tremble. Most of the time, that's not the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, it's our reaction to the Holy Spirit. Just like we would react when it's a soccer match. And I won't say Liverpool because they're playing miserable at the moment. But someone that you really support scores a goal or a winning point. And you get up off your chair and you're, you're cheering. Or, you know, or just when you hear bad news about someone you dearly love, all of a sudden you're shaking and you're crying. People come under conviction. That's human emotion. And there's nothing wrong with that, friends. Sometimes human emotion can get out of control and it can affect the general sense of, of cohesion in a service and good leadership has to guide that in a way that doesn't in any way dehumanize the person's experience but keeps the thing on track. So I need you to understand how leaders work in that area. It's important for us to understand that. And, but this woman could have come in and says, this, even this pastor has no idea what I'm going through. I'm pouring my heart out before the Lord. And you know, the, you know this story that she is praying in her heart, but she's moving her lips. Nothing's coming out. So she, I'm from a distance, Eli, you know. It'll tell you the state of affair of Israel. At that time, that immediately he thinks it's drunkenness because there was a lot of drunkenness going on. 
Don't think it was a virtuous nation, friends. We're no more virtuous than the nations around it. They were there because by sovereign call of God, he didn't love them more than the Arab nations around. He loved because there was a seed of promise going to come through those people that would bless the world. And so he thinks she's drunk and, you know, and he, th- he thinks that she's just been attention-grabbing or whatever it may be. She could have so easily said, that's what I'm wounded in the church. The leaders don't understand me. And there will be times that we won't understand you. Yes, <laughs> completely you will be misinterpreted. But it didn't stop her. It didn't stop her pressing into God. And immediately when Eli, Eli began to see that this woman is generally pouring her heart out to the Lord. But the victory for this woman came at a certain point. And let me tell you what the point was this. She said to the Lord, and I'll paraphrase it because I've already read the chapter to you. But she went to the Lord and said, Lord, if you give me fruit, if you give me a son... I will give him back to you. See, that is it. It's not, I want fruit from my life, from my consumption, amen. I want to bear fruit so that I can bring glory to you. If you learn anything from this woman, the breakthrough happened. And so many of us come to altars for breakthrough for our lives. We want, Lord, I need a better wage. Uh, not that I can tithe or give to your house. Or, no, just because I want it and I need it for my family. I want to tell you, you need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to bless me with a husband or wife, but I want our marriage to be a glory unto your name. There's something about the heart that means everything to God. There's something about the motivation of this woman. Lord, if you bless me with fruit, I will pour that fruit as praise before your name. And I want to tell you this morning, brother and sister, whatever you're praying for, if it is for your own self-consumption, me, my, my own, and not the kingdom, it is not a prayer that God's going to hear. It's not, friends. Everything that we pray for is, God, I want you to bear fruit in my life so that I can give glory to you. That, Lord God, you give me a marriage, it'll bring glory to you. And, and actually, just over the Christmas, as you know, our, my, my daughter-in-law's husband, our father, Billy, was dying. And, uh, and thank God, he's just raising him up. He's back home. We gave that praise report. But Chris's wife, I was talking to Chris, and she, she told me the sweetest story. And Billy was acknowledging the truth of that. She said, when we got married all those years ago, 50 years ago or something like that, she said, I was at the altar and I looked at my husband. He heard me and she said, I raised my hand to God like this. She said, if you give me a family, I will always talk to them about you. I will always lead them to you. And she didn't know the Lord the way she knows him today. She grew up in ritualistic religion. But there was something about the cry of a mother, no matter where you are, or a father, that when you say, God, if you bless me with this, I will turn this back to you. And, she's, and God blessed you with this wonderful family. Uh, I'm a benefactor of a fantastic daughter-in-law that I never had this discipline, I never had to groom, I just ready-made, beautiful young woman that entered into our lives and gave me wonderful grandchildren. But it's the, it's the, it's the attitude of heart of Hannah. It's the, I will give back to you. It's not for me now, Lord, anymore. It's for you. I want my life to be no, not just a benefactor to me, my, my own. I want my life to show the glory of God to this world. I want my life to count, amen. I don't want a big house just to, so I can vaunt myself. Oh, you can be a big house. I'll have the rooms filled with people that need them. 
Lord, you give me a home. I will have people sitting at my table all the time. Lord, you give me resources. I will bless this world around you. Lord, I will go out in your name to the highways and the byways, and I will give and I will love. My marriage, even my children, will be a glory to your name. My son, if you give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life. And and they will not even cut his hair. That was a Nazarite vow that she would bring her son up as a Nazarite. And it's amazing that when you are living as a Christian and you go through tough times when everybody else around you seems to be prospering, everybody around you seems to be happy, they found their husband or they're having their baby or they bought a new house and you don't even have a driving license, you're finding it difficult to get a job that pays above subsistence, that all of a sudden it's the most amazing thing, friends, that God, to understand this, that God is doing something very deep in your life. He's bringing you to a place of saying, Lord, do you know what, God? I want my life to matter. Now I see what fruit is about. It's not about to feather my nest. It's not about me being a better me. That's motivational preaching. That's motivational living. You be a better you. Why do you want to be better you? For you or for him? I want to be better, Lord God, in the sense of bearing fruit. Not so that men will point and say, what a great person I am. I don't care what Paniah thinks of me. I hope she thinks better of me than what she does already. But Lord, it's not even about her anymore. It's not about my mom and my dad saying, you need to be a better Christian. It's not about my mom and dad saying, oh, you're not, you don't worship the Lord. You're not pressing in enough. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And there comes a time, young person, where you have to say, mom and dad may mean well and they might be provoking the life out of you, making you angry. But it comes a time where you have to say, God, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can glorify you. Not that I metric myself against anybody else. I don't even want to look at another person in Cork Church. I want to bless them if they're doing good. Praise God. But God, I want my life to matter for you. And that's what Hannah did. Hannah's story is a story of having to go through a time where she has to die to her own desires and resurrect them by saying, Lord, the desires are only healthy when they're for the glory of your name. I want to tell you, man, she, just, she doesn't just get a baby. She got five of them after this. But she got this Samuel. Something is produced in a man or a woman when they die to their own personal successes. And they die to what society wants of them. They say, I want to do nothing other. I want to, do, I want to say nothing else. I want to do nothing else other than what the Father wants me to do. I want to say nothing other than what the Father wants me to say. Does it sound like somebody else does it? Because it does, because that's what Jesus said. I do nothing other than what I hear the Father say and do. His life was nothing other than to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And I want to tell you, Christian, this morning, that is the place of growth in your life. That is the place of true spirituality. That is the place of breakthrough. You already have your baby. You already have your job. Because I want to tell you, if you mean that sincerity, God will hear you from the depths of your despair. And your life will not be a meaningless blip in the map. There will be a posterity. That means something will live on after you're dead. Can you say amen? amen? Oh, what a joy. And I'm not talking about bricks and mortar. Even a house will pass hands. Some vagabond will wear your old shoes. Your jacket will be down in Oxfam or somewhere. So concerned you'll be setting your second hand clothes. All your riches will disappear. But there will be a testimony, friends, to the lives of your loved ones and your children and your children's children. The Bible says, what an awesome thing. Amen. 
to, be, to, to know that, that I've walked a journey with God that he's produced something in me that has been so God-honoring, so God-glorifying that many Samuels came out of my testimony. Oh, I pray this morning that you would raise your eyes higher than where you are today and say, God, I want this to be a glory. I only want what you want, Lord. I only want to honor you, Lord God. Bless me with this and I will give it back to you. I stand before you, Lord. They will not be mine. They'll be yours. It will not be my bank account. It's your bank account. It's not my car. It's your car. It's not my job. It's your job. It's not my family. It's your family. They're not my children. They're your children. That's how Christians are to live. For the glory of God. Her name also means grace. Favored grace. She's a picture of grace, friends. Grace under trial. Maybe Paniah was just being nasty to her. It's interesting, the provocations always happened when they went to church. I don't think you have a lot of faith. Maybe all year round they did nothing because all year round Hannah has probably got it easy. She doesn't have to change the nappies and she's not having to make the bottles and Panaya is sweating it and she's putting on weight and she's coming out there not so presentable to her husband and Hannah's looking great. But it was when they came up to church and she looked down on her. I want to tell you this morning, let nobody look down on you. You are loved by your heavenly father. And even if you feel I'm not doing much at the moment, I'm not amounting to much, it's not over yet. Come in and press into God. Don't let the provocation of another drive you from the presence of God. Don't, let, don't even let a bad boss drive you to another job. Don't let it drive you out of your marriage. Let it drive you into the presence of God. Weep and speak to God and say, Oh God, if you take this boss off my back, I will serve you in that place. And everything I do will be onto your name. What a way to live your life. You see, friends, we have to start to bring this down into our lives. See, Sunday morning here at Court Church, it's wonderful. I've, I've so loved worshiping with you all this morning and seeing what the Lord is doing, sensing his presence. But we go and we leave here very shortly and we have to step into God willing on Monday morning into a workplace, into the same troubles and trials that we all find ourselves in. And at some stage, we have to adopt a different mind. Let this mind be also in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Though being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but humbled himself and became a man and even obedient to the dead of a cross, friends. There's something where we begin to say, I need to start gauging everything in my life towards the glory of God. And I mean everything. Everything. Not just your Sunday. Not just when you're among Christians. Not when the atmosphere suits you. But when you're out there and you're facing provocation from everything, from your own... Even sometimes the provocation comes from within. It comes from ourselves. We're probably the biggest provocators of our own selves. Stop doubting who you are. Listen to me, Christian. Stop doubting that you're loved because you're loved. Stop doubting that you're part of the bride because you are. Stop doubting that he doesn't love you because he does. Stop doubting that he hasn't forgiven you because he has. Amen. And start to embrace and say, oh God, now give me fruit. And I pray, Lord, everything that you give me, I will give back to you. And that is the breakthrough of this wonderful woman of God. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3 says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there be no fruit in the vine, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no fruit. And the crop is cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. Yet shall I rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. 
I want to tell you, you might be in that place at the moment like Habakkuk, like Hannah, where there's no, there's no fruit in the vine. There's no crop in the field. There's nothing in the stalls. It's empty. It's barren. It's broken. You look around you and other people seem to be prospering. But Habakkuk says, yet shall I rejoice in the Lord because it's not over yet. Amen. You say, Lord, fill my barns again. Fill the stalls again. Fill the fields again. And I promise you, Lord, everything you give me, I give back to you. I will steward it, Lord, because it's all yours. Amen. And I will give it to you with a whole heart. And I want you to start living like that in the small things. God will trust you with the bigger ones. What a step of faith for you to make this morning. You know, in a week's time, we're going into a week of prayer and fasting, seeking God for immense burdens of our lives. But you know, you can even begin to right now in your heart say, I'm going to be like Hannah. My prayer is not going to be for me. My prayer is going to be for the glory of God. Lord, give me fruit in my life that I would bear fruit, Lord God. And when that fruit, I would turn back as a testimony to your name. I will live for you, Lord. I will tell men and women of the goodness of the Lord. I love the story. She's barren, but not abandoned. You may feel barren, but you're not abandoned. You might be hurt in your marriage, hurt in your employment. Hurt here in the church. And God still loves you. And if you can let that love touch your heart, take it. You don't even need to take it at face value as a statement because God showed forth his love and so much so he sent forth his son that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already shown you his love. He doesn't need to show you any more, friends. You need to stop asking him to show you his love. I think in Malachi says, I have loved you with an, with an everlasting love, but you retort, how have thou loved me? Oh, how many often have we fallen into such cheap slander towards God? Some cheap lines that we spit in his face. How do you love me now, God? And he sent his only beautiful son, friends, to die on the cross. Enough with the cheap words out of our mouth. Say, Lord, I don't feel much, but I know you love me. And because of that truth, I am standing in that. And I'm making requests today, Lord, from a different place. Everything you give me is yours. I will become a steward from the children to the work to the relationships to whatever you give me. It's yours, Lord. A razor will never touch it. Nothing of this world is going to have it. If that is your motivation, God is going to give you a phenomenal 2023. I want us to stand this morning. We're coming to the end of our services. But maybe, maybe you need to say it so this morning. The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And maybe God is speaking to you that the reason your prayers have not reached further than the ceiling is because the intent was wrong. And now your intent has changed because the entrance of thy word, the Bible says, brings light. And all of a sudden you can see, I, I see, I, I see everything that I amount to. I'm just a steward of it. And I turn back to you. She had a Samuel given to her. What would God give to you? That man went down to bless the nation, be the greatest prophet in the Old Testament anointed the first kings of Israel, a man after God's heart, hearing sensitive to the things of the Spirit. 
But what will God do for you? Let me tell you, above and beyond what you can even ask or think, let your motivation be right this morning, everything. You're going for education, you're thinking of a course here, God. If you give me this course, you help me to get through this college course, I will use my education, I will use my gifting for your glory. But as long as it's for me, because Peniah has got some, I want some, and I don't feel blessed because they have and I don't have. It's not about you, it's about him. And he'll make you, I love the scripture, he, he brings you into fellowship of everything that he does. Isn't that a wonderful thought that you become a divine, a partaker of the divine nature. Now we know that is the new life through the Holy Spirit, but it's also the nature of God to save this world. You, you've been brought into the plan. You're, you're a conduit, your hands, your feet, you're a voice, you're a presence. Where you go, he goes. His presence is in you, so you give him a location everywhere. The powers of darkness have to move back when you walk through the streets of Cork. They do. They can't stand in the way. They have to move out of the way. Everywhere the sword of your feet goes, it brings light. You just don't know it yet, but that's what happens, the scripture says. So ask the Lord. Close your eyes with me. Come on. Because we're still at the very start of this year. Whatever you've been battling with, say, oh God, I've been battling the wrong way and I've been wanting because I think the measure of me is a better job, the measure of me is a better this, a better that. The measure of me is I surrender all my plans to you. And if you give me these blessings, I will give them back to you. And I will steward them for your glory. That is the message of Hannah. Heavenly Father, I pray for every brother and sister this morning. Oh God, for those who even might be married a long time, Lord, or maybe advanced in years, Lord, whatever years are left. Lord, some are asking for more years. Even here this morning, some are, Lord, give me another 10 years, give me another five years. Brother and sister, if you ask for that, you have to say, Lord, you give me that, it's going to be for you, Lord, not for me. It's not for me to feel better about myself. I don't belong to myself, myself anymore, I belong to him. This is that I can, I can continue to be a partaker on this planet of the divine nature of God. And now, Father, everything... Every prayer request of you, the acquitted is that it is all for your glory. Produce fruit in my life, Lord, for your glory. Can you say that to the Lord? Lord, not for people to look at me and say, what a, what a clever, intelligent, sparky, wonderful Christian I am. Oh, what an anointed man or woman of God they are. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, so I can lay hands on the sick and they recover. Not that they would look at me, God. I don't want any attention. But that I could bring alleviation of pain and suffering to people. Lord, give me words of wisdom, Lord, that I can set the people on a straight course of life. Not that they would say, oh, isn't she such a wise woman? Isn't he such a wise man? No, Lord, for your glory, for your name. Lord, give me the Holy Spirit, Lord, in the measure that, Lord, I can pray, Lord God, and Lord, in the, in, in the mystical languages of heaven, Lord, and do something in the spiritual realm that my natural voice can't do. God, not for my glory, but for your glory. That's what Hannah did. Not for me anymore, Lord, but for thee. And if you ask me to encapsulate Hannah's request, Hannah's request to say, after all those years, God is deepening her to the place of, okay, Lord, it's not even about me. It's for you. Use my life for your glory. And as she did, she conceived this wonderful son and many more after that. Five children after that. Heavenly Father, come on, raise your hands to heaven. This is a tender moment as we come out of church today. This is a moment that I'm convinced with all my heart that we can't do this as a ritual anymore. You have to do it as an individual. You have to say, oh God, I need the fruit of my life for your glory.
I want it for your glory, Lord. I want my life. I want to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's, my, my husband says, well done, and my children say, well done. But Lord, it's not enough anymore. I need to hear, I want you to say, well done. I want my life to truly, truly matter. I'm getting a little bit older, Lord, and the road is running out. But I want to bear fruit for you. And if you're late into this life as a Christian, I'm telling you, you could be a late bloomer and the glory of God could be all over you. You can do so much good with what's left of your life if you should just simply come to God and say, Lord, I want this for your glory, not mine. Can you say to the Lord, Lord, not for my glory, but for yours. Not for me, but for thee. Take my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Come on, say to the Lord, my dreams, my plans, I lay them down, Lord God. I would want them, Lord, because I, but I only want them, Lord, now because I want to bless you with them. I want to bless your kingdom. I want to bless the reputation of your name, Lord, in my community, that you're a Jehovah Jireh, that you're a provider, you're a healer, you're a comforter, you're a strength. God is our very help in trouble. Hallelujah, Lord. Write down the vision clearly and scribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. Hannah didn't cut and run. She stayed the course. She motivated herself the right way and God met with her. Don't cut and run. Reorientate your prayer and begin to convince yourself this is the way I have to live everything God gives you, if God prospers your business well it's not your business anymore because you gave your business to him he prospers his business that you're stewarding and you, you do it a righteous way amen anyone here in business this morning you do it the right way you pay your taxes even if you think you're going to go under God's going to bless you hallelujah live the right way come on worship now just with Nathan's got a song we're going to worship raise your hands and praise him this morning I feel the burdens lifted off so many people this morning. How we do? I believe God's lifting burdens. That all of a sudden it's taking the intensity out of your prayer. It's not about me anymore. It's about the glory of God. I want my life to matter. I want it to be glorified to you, Lord. Hallelujah. And in that journey, you're still loved. So there's a great sense of a accomplishment there this morning. So I don't see it yet. It waits. It's going to happen. It waits in a point of time, but I won't deny I'm loved and I won't deny that it won't happen because in Jesus' name it's going to happen. And in the meantime, I embrace the journey and love him and let him love me back. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.